God when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe display then sings my soul my Savior God to to me how 
be talking about God's witnesses, I want to go to chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. First, share uh, what I'm going to study with that is going to be the witnesses there, but Pastor Rob had asked me to share the experience I had the last few months out of the hospital and maybe up to today, I don't know, we'll see. Some of you have heard it before, I've added a few more slides that we didn't have before. But I want to start with Revelation chapter 11 and <clears throat> dealing with God's witnesses. Um, in uh, the first four verses, it talks about the olive trees, the uh, lampstands, and the, and the two witnesses. Then if you drop down a ways, it talks about two prophets. We'll look at this. Uh, the reason that I want to share this with you uh, before I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I was studying with a man who was studying spiritualism at the time. I didn't know anything about anything about Scripture. But the first time I held a Bible in my hand, I was about 17 or 18 years old. I was at a high school, actually we were at a tournament, and they had a suite for us in a hotel. And there were eight, eight of us guys, and I was the only one there this one day. And I saw the, the Bible 
on the desk, and I went over and picked it up. The first time I ever heard it, read it, and it was a book that's put in hospitals and, and uh, jails and things of that nature by the Gideons. And on the front index, they have different topics of interest to individuals. So I started going through them. And remember when, when Jesus was talking to the two men on the road, the road to Emmaus, how their hearts burned within them? I had that kind of experience. I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was good, but I put it down, and I never opened it again after that. But there was something else that happened about that same time. Um, <clears throat> we had a group of kids that did things that were not right on. And um, there was a girl in our class. We went to high school, well, I think through grade school and high school. And she liked to drink and dance and other things. And one day she stopped doing this. And the guys were poking fun of her. But I, I didn't. The Lord impressed me with her behavior. And I learned that she was a Seventh-day Adventist. I knew that she was wrong on the day of worship. Sunday was the day of worship. And the only other thing I knew, Adventists didn't eat pork. That's all I knew about, uh, about Adventism. But then when I met this man, in under circumstances, I'm not going to share what those were. But as I mentioned, he was studying spiritualism. He had studied Catholicism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormonism. And then he tried to study the Bible with me, but I didn't know any different. We were in chapter 11 of, uh, of Revelation, reading through it, and I thought those two prophets, if we drop down to verse, uh, verse um, 6 and 7, probably verse 7, when they finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Well, from that, I thought, well, there's going to be a couple of prophets in the Middle East. At that time, there was war in Congo. I thought, well, there's war there. It's either, something's going to happen in either the Congo or the Middle East, and a couple of prophets are going to get up and start speaking, and then they're going to be murdered, and then after three and a half days, they're going to rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. So I thought to myself, I didn't want to make a commitment to Christ. He was working on me to do so. And I thought, I'm going to watch for this. And when it happens, I'm going to jump in under the wire and get, quote, saved. But I'm thankful that God did not wait that long for me to, to uh, you know, figure some of these things out. So it's been a favorite chapter of, uh, of mine. And so here we go. Uh, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 19 deal with the temple of God. And verse 1, uh, one, and, 1 and 2 deals with the altar of incense and worshipers. And John was told to measure, that has to calculate what's going on. Some feel that maybe it may even be an interpretation, uh, judgment. But I think it's not quite. This is first apartment ministry of Christ. If we look at... Uh, Verse 19, in fact, let's, let's read that together, or I can read it. Verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen in its temple. And so here, this would be second apartment. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the, the law of God is in, the, in that um, Ark. And then on top of it was a mercy seat. And this represented Christ. He, he joined mercy and justice together 
while he was here on earth, and especially at the time of the cross. And in between, the rest of the chapter is dealing primarily with the court. The court is something that was outside the temple. And in the wilderness, you had uh, uh, linen sheets like that were uh, a wall around the, the sanctuary, the tabernacle. And then later with uh, Solomon's temple, you had a similar setup, but now we have it. That which surrounded the tabernacle or the temple was uh, made of brick or stone. And, but it's here that the first thing you saw as you walked into the uh, temple complex or into the court, uh, the, there was the altar, a brazen altar that had to do with the sacrifice of uh, animals. That represented Christ and Calvary. And in this chapter of uh, chapter 11, speaks about the Gentiles trotting the court underfoot for 42 months. And the two witnesses would do that for 1260 days. These two time elements are the same. I think I've got the next slide, yeah. 42 is... The, 42 and the 1260 days are the same length of time. And there are 30 days to a prophetic month of Jewish reckoning. And 42 times 30 of 1260. And uh, there are many people that believe these are literal days, but the whole chapter is dealing with uh, symbolism, with prophecy and that sort of thing. And uh, so here we have the two witnesses in verse 3, two olive trees, verse 4, Again, two lampstands, same verse. And then the two prophets in verse 10 that we've already looked at. So we have the two witnesses. We have olive, olive oil. In the book of Zechariah, you have uh, two olive trees that are pouring oil out of themselves into a, uh, the sanctuary. And the light was there that uh, was lit. And this had to do with the sanctuary. It has to do with us also as we receive the oil of God, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, we should be lit up, be able to shine. Now, the, the two witnesses are the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, some, as I mentioned before, I believed at one time that, that they were two people, but it's not. It's, 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 we'll, we'll take a look at this. The two witnesses, the two olive trees, the two lampstands, and the prophets are simply the, the words of the Bible, God's Word. Both the Old and the New Testaments are God's two witnesses that testify of his law, of Christ, and of the plan of salvation. You find both of those there. And so here, Psalm says, the word of God is a lamp and a light. And then in the New Testament, we have uh, some things that Paul spoke of and all Peter. And, but the words of Jesus in the New Testament, the four Gospels, are part of the word of God the witness, the testimony of God. And uh, then you have Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So everything that Christ said, everything that po people wrote about him uh, is part of that witness, that testimony. Peter writing, and he now. John was probably writing the book of Revelation somewhere in, the, in 90 A.D. And about 30 years before that, or less, um, Peter had been crucified upside down. Paul had been beheaded. And this was all before the, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. 
Peter is writing about Paul. He said there are some unstable people who would twist, uh, twist Paul's writings to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So Peter is putting the, the writings of Paul in the scripture. And Peter himself said, we are to remember the predictions made by God's own prophets and the commands given by the Lord our Savior, and Savior through your apostles. So he's, he is including the, the apostles as a witness here also. Then in, uh, this is in Jude 17 through 19. He says, you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are essential persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. So we go from here again. The two witnesses to God's word, the Old and the New Testament. Now, there's opposition to those witnesses of the Bible for many years. Now, in this book, uh, in this passage, we have times, times, dividing the time, 1260 years and 42 months in the book of Revelation and in Daniel also. And I want to share something with you that uh, I had a friend of mine who married a guy that I was working with, and uh, she was a school teacher and a wonderful teacher. We were discussing, I'll put... These are the, from Daniel Revelation references. We're discussing the principles of education. And I made a statement that I said, you know, I believe the Bible should be the textbook for every subject. He came unglued. And <clears throat> we, we were talking this way. And I told her, I said, when I'm talking about a textbook, I'm talking about a text that deals with the principle and is not a workbook as such. The ones that we have as textbooks in college or at school today are actually workbooks. They're not textbooks per se. Uh, they, uh, you use those to find out the details, but the text, the textbook deals with the principles. But somehow education has got off on a different uh, line. But she asked me a question. She said, well, how can you teach, and I wasn't talking about this, how can you teach algebra? From the Bible. And I said, I don't know, but I believe the principle is there. Years later, there was a Sabbath school quarterly that had these written down in the quarterly, and I looked at those, I looked at the Exodus, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's an algebraic formula there somewhere. And I, I worked it out. I'm not going to go into it now, but uh, these are all talking about the same time period. And uh, here we're going to see two of them, verses 14 and 6 of chapter 12. As a woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, to a place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Then going back to verse 6, we have the same thought, different words. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. As we go through this, we see there's a woman here. She, we have a woman over in verse 6, and she and her. So it's all talking about the same person, the same system, God's church. The wilderness is the place. Both, both verses have has this. Both have the word place, where God prepared a place for the woman under tremendous persecution. There were men, women, and children 
that had to go into hiding during these, these times. But the woman or the church would be nourished for this period of time to be fed for their 1,260 days. And you have a time, times, and a half a time. Talking about the same thing. So both, or all three, the, the time elements, the times, the 42 months, the 1,260 days are all talking about the same time period. I see you going your head like this. <laughs> Good. So the, um, that's the key to deal with the time prophecy of that time. Now, chapter 12 continues this idea. Uh, well, we were already in it. God's church is persecuted but protected in verse 6. We've already seen. Then in verse 14, you have the same thing. God's church is persecuted but God protects her. In the middle of the chapter, you have Lucifer and his followers cast out of heaven. This is the central focus here of seeing that the great controversy started in heaven, but it's going to be finished on the earth. This chapter is dealing with that. It's simply continuing from chapter 11. And here's in pictorial uh, slides, Revelation 12, 1 through 6, the woman, the, the, she was about to deliver a child, and the devil, represented by the serpent, was trying to devour her and kill the child. Then in chapter 12, also 10 through 17, we see the woman again being protected by God. And in between, we see the picture of Lucifer being cast, cast out, of the, out of heaven to this earth. Well, these prophetic time elements are time times and half a time, 1260 years, 42 months, same thing. And we can reduce it to 1260 years. And we understand that from the book of Numbers and Ezekiel. Numbers 14.34, the Jews had gone in. They sent spies into the Promised Land. They were there for... Get some grapes. They were supposed to, uh, to uh, uh, buy out the land. And when they came back, there were only two men who said, oh, we can go in and take it. The other said, no, no, these people are giants. And we're like grasshoppers. It took two men to carry a, um, a group of grapes. How would you like to see some grapes that size? <laughs> I'm sure they were juicy also. But anyhow, the Lord told them, he says, according to the number that you were spying out the land, you will, for each day, you'll be a year wandering in the wilderness, which amounted to 40 years. And in Ezekiel also, and both of these were dealing with judgment. God told Ezekiel, he said, I want you to lie on your left side and on your right side. And each side, I've appointed you each day for a year. And so this is where we understand, we get the year for a day principle from there. So we got, what history shows us, and this comes out of the Reformation. The Reformation, they didn't always have it on the beginning date of 538. But in the late 1700s and early 1800s, there were people that were studying the book of Daniel, especially, and Revelation, and they came to the conclusion that this 1,200-year prophecy started in 538 with the Roman Emperor Justinian when he gave the, uh, the papacy the power, both temporal power, but primarily spiritual power over all the churches because um, Constantine, of course, had moved his headquarters to Constantinople. Justinian came along a couple hundred years later and he gave authority to the, to the papacy to rule. 1798... History tells us that the French General Berthier went into Rome and declared Rome and the 
in Italy as a republic, and he took the, the Pope captive at the end of the 1260 years. But shortly after that, now the Bible had been put down by the, both during the Dark Ages and also by France. France was, um, they voted God out of existence during the time of the, uh, the revolution started in 1789, and they got worse as they, as they went on. They actually took a woman from the dance hall, called her the goddess of reason, set her in, the, in a temple, it was in the, one of the cathedrals, bowed down and worshipped her. From that, from that idolatry, then, they broke into uh, all kinds of things. Well, you remember, let's go read chapter uh, 11, verse 8. It says, their dead bodies will be in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And in chapter 6 of uh, Hebrews, it talks about Christ is crucified afresh as we sin or as we turn from him. And so what we see here is a, an enactment of this, not by in, a single individual, but by a whole nation. And there are three things that... Uh, France was known for during the 1790s. Number one, Egypt. They denied God. They became atheists. Number two, sodomy. They attacked the marriage. They didn't believe that a man and woman should be married. But the Christians believed that there should be a husband and a wife and children. Do you know that this very thing is happening today in, our, in the streets of America? Some of the things that are going on one of the things they're after is the marriage. That's, that's basic for all, um, all government. And as they try to divide that and destroy it uh, through anarchy and that type of thing, but through philosophy also, um, we're going to see some more interesting things as time goes on. But something was happening at that same time. The first organization called the Bible Society was formed in 1779, and it was, they distributed it to uh, soldiers and seamen. Then you have the British and Foreign Bible Society, the first one that was in the full sense, and it was founded in 1804. And then you have the American Bible Society that began in 1816. And this is one of the offices that they had at that time. It was, I think it was torn down in 1856. Uh, but here's, a, I got this from the United Bible Societies, that there have been 40 billion people served with Bible translations. One and a half billion people still waiting for Bible translations. 400 translation projects are underway right now. The Bible is the most published and distributed book in the world. Even today, every year, it, it outsells everything else. So there's a hunger in the hearts of people. And God has given us a message to reach them. Now, I'm going to deal with my personal experience in the last few months. Number one, first, there's some things I had to make right. Um, I had purchased some time ago a pair of two pairs of trousers. One was a dress pair. The other was for knocking around the house and working. You know. I picked them up off a sales table. I took it to the work and put them on the counter and... Uh, she said, oh, she said, these ones are not for sale. And I said, well, they, they must be. They were on that sales table. She says, no, they weren't. 
Well, we talked a little bit. She said, well, I'm going to call the manager. And I said, that'll be fine. So she came, the manager came, and um, she says, no, these are not, uh, I mean, they were really nice, expensive trousers. And I thought I was getting a good deal. And so uh, she said, well, where did you find them? And I said, well, come with me, and I'll show you. And I showed her where I had picked them up. I said, both pairs were here. And she got a little angry. She said, okay, you can have them. And I got them, a pretty good pair. And I went home. We lived, lived about two hours' drive from where this place was. I got up, got up there maybe once or twice a year. And when I got home, the Lord was impressing me that I should not have argued. Well, I didn't argue. I simply said that they were there and that, that they ought to sell them to me. But the Lord convicted me that I, that I needed to make that right. So I was back there another year, a year later, and lo and behold, the, the store was closed, shut down. And so... I looked for one, didn't find one in the area. And it wasn't until I came out here, that this was in California. Came out here, and I saw one of the stores, and probably early in the spring, the Lord impressed me that I needed to make, make that right. So I went to the store, and I would have paid full price for the, everything that I owed, and a little more. And I called for the uh, man who was in charge, I pulled out some money and I handed it to him. He said, no, no, I can't take that. I said, well, why not? I said, I owe it to you. I said, I got these. I thought I was getting a good deal, but I said, the Lord convinced me that I ought to make things right. And so I want to give it to you. No, he said, I can't take it. I said, well, you can take it and send it to your headquarters. No, I can't take it. I said, what in the world should I do with it? He said, well, give it to some charity. So that's what I did. The other was another thing that uh, uh, I bought a... Um, tractor with a snowblower on it, and in the wintertime, when you're on a slope, you're on a concrete lot, you have to have change, you're going to be sliding all over the place. So I bought a set of chains, and uh, I, when I got home, I opened the box, and it looked like there was only one set for one tire, and I didn't look at the rest of the box, it just, for some reason, so I went back to the store, and I said, listen, I said, I only have one... Uh, one uh, chain. There should be two. And the guy apologized. He said, oh, here, I'll give you another one. So he gave me another box. So I had, had two full sets of chains. When I got home, I looked in the other box. And, uh, and there it was. The other one was there. So uh, I went back to that. This is Sears. They were closed. And so I got, found out where their headquarters is. And I wrote a letter and read it, wrote a check for the chain. More than, more than I think what I paid for. And uh, they called, talked to Shirley, didn't, I wasn't home. They said, we've never heard anything like this in our life. And we thank you, we're not going to charge you anything, we're going to tear the chair out the check up. So that's it. So those are the two. But God was preparing me for I went into surgery. Uh, <clears throat> this was in, in April. Oh, there's a picture. I think that's me. <laughs> um, they had tubes all over, and every, both arms, throat, nose, and, and there was another one or two that they had in me. And uh, this, this surgery was successful. This is the next day, and I was feeling pretty good. What I went in for was a, a polyp in my intestine in the colon, about the size of a 50-cent piece, or maybe even a dollar. It was flat. They could not get it out. 
in any other way than except by surgery. And so the doctor told me, he said, I'm going to take about a foot of your colon out. I said, I don't want to do that. He said, well, think about it. Time, I decided I better do it. And so I went in. Well, one of the problems happened after the surgery. Oh, by the way, this is one they took out of my nose. It's, it's got to be at least three or four feet long. <laughs> and the, 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 uh, male, one of the male nurses took it out. And I said, I need to have a picture of that. We've got a picture of, of that. And then uh, things got worse. And they had to put me on a ventilator, I think probably two or three times. Two that I know of. There may have been another one, but I didn't know anything about the second one. The third one I knew that they were trying to do. I was still awake, and they were trying to put a tube down my throat. And the gal that was doing it was having a hard time getting it done. And a short, short time after that, I passed out. But before I passed out, I, uh, I could feel something coming up on the inside. It was blood. Filling up on the inside, reached my lungs, and I could I could breathe fairly well. But as it kept coming, and they they recognized that I was learning blood, losing blood, so they're pumping blood into me, units of blood plus plasma. And and as it, as the blood continued to to press my lungs, I could get a half half a gasp. And then pretty soon I was gasping. <laughs> And I remember just before I passed out, I said, I hope I don't go out like this. And I was thinking of dying. I thought that's, that was going to happen. So they sent in two different times, two different uh, specialists to keep people alive when you're either dead or near, nearly so. And uh, they, they got the ventilator in on two occasions. And, but something happened. Well, here's a little bit. If any of you, if you've never had a ventilator in your system, the function of it is to pump air in and take um, carbon, dioxide, carbon dioxide out of the lungs. That's referred to as ventilation. Oh, there's there's death, death warmed over, don't you think? That's where I was at. Now, sometime during this time, actually before I went on the ventilator, I was talking to God and I was preparing preparing to die. I said, Lord, it's in your hands. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, you can bring me through this okay, and if I die, that's okay too. And I thought maybe I'd just go to sleep and wake up resurrected morning. I'd heard, you know, that you go to sleep in death, the next instant you're awake in time. You're not in time, but in, in your experience. But anyhow, during that time, before I passed out, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was a vision or what. But I saw something, you know, like on the lower third of a television screen or, or a computer screen, they call it the lower third. On the left-hand side, I saw a brain that was breaking up, and then it looked like the world was coming apart. And then and there was a lot of mist and clouds and things like this, and then out of that came a message, you will not make it through this. Where do you think that came from? On the other end of the lower third, a beautiful blue piece, looked like the blue sky, another message came, you're going to come through this. And then came Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Wonderful promises. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. I think that's a good promise. Then Psalm 18, 118, verses 18 and 17. The Lord has not given me over to death. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Those two passages gave me strength. <laughs> and there were crises, several crises that took place. And I had, but I was calm with God. I would say, Lord, you brought me through that one. I believe you're going to bring me through this one. And this went on for several days. Then one morning I woke up. And I don't know when this was, two or three days later, whatever it was. But I looked up and I thought I was, I thought I was in heaven. I thought I was, I was going to heaven. I thought the Lord had come, but I didn't see him. But as I looked at the wall, I saw a television set and then the clock. And this is the, this is the picture of that. I looked around the room. I said, I didn't die last night. I'm alive. <laughs> and it was tremendous joy. But remember, they had me tied to the bed, both hand and foot, so I couldn't move. I evidently, I'd given them a rough time the night before, or whenever it was. And then I had a sense of peace that God was with me, that I was going to get through. I started going down some more, and someone got the wild idea that I had COVID, so they decided to test me. They sent me down into the COVID floor and put me in isolation and uh, gave me a test. This is someone else, not me. I got this off the internet to show how, how they do it. Stick this thing up your nose and twirl it around and uh, take a sample and send it in. That happened twice. But I found out later that they make more money. Every time they send a test in, they get more money for that. So the third time came. It's either the third or fourth time, and I, I don't remember this, but they're going to do it again. And these, all, these came back negative. I didn't, didn't have it either time. And there was a doctor there, a young doctor, said, let him alone. <laughs> he doesn't have it. And so they stopped trying to make more money on that. And they decided I didn't have it. And they put me up a couple, a couple of floors in the hospital. I stayed there for several days. Then I went home. Actually, my wife, I think my daughter is here too. She was here. Um, the, um, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, and I couldn't eat. And the doctor that did the surgery, he's a wonderful man, he came in to see me. And evidently there was a lot of discussion and uh, difference of opinion in the hospital. Some felt I needed to stay there. Some felt that I should go to rehab or a rest home. I didn't want to go to either one of those. And uh, doctors Don and Esther were trying to get me out. And my wife Shirley was trying to get me out. <laughs> and the doctor came in to me and he said, uh, well, what do you want to do? He said, we can send you to rehab or we can send you home. And I said, I want to go home. He said, okay, we're going to step out by faith and send you home. And so Shirley and, I, or Shirley and my daughter Kim came after me, and I, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. Got home, sat in a chair for a while, and uh, I could hardly talk. I could get some things out, but not much. In fact, my throat is still bothering me, but it's much better now than it was. Could not walk. They got the walker. Well, they had the walker there anyhow. And I started walking across the room and then to the kitchen table and then back, back to my seat. And uh, 
This went on for several days. Shirley was feeding me every meal. She'd come in with a spoon and soft food. I ate that, ate this away, ate for a while, and I finally took the spoon out of her hand and started feeding myself. And then I was able to uh, get to the table on my own. This went on for quite some time. For a while, I could only walk three or four minutes. I was totally tired. Then one day, we decided to walk outside. And I walked, I think it was a half a mile, uh, not a half a mile, half a block. And that felt pretty good. So the next day, I decided to go see if I could double that, which I did. The third day, I went a little farther. Fourth day, I was completely out. I could hardly move. And after that, I could only walk again, about three or four minutes. And I would do that in the house, building up. Now it's coming back a little bit, where I can walk a little, a little further. I made a set of goal of preaching about a month ago, three months. The doctor told me it would be four to six months before I'd be on my feet again, you know, healed. And so I set a goal for three months. I was asked to preach. And actually I had three, three sermons I was to present. And I, uh, I was supposed to have two on one day, and I knew I couldn't make it through that. And uh, we, we, I did one, and uh, I was so weak, I could hardly stand up. Dr. Don, another doctor, came and helped me off the pulpit. <laughs> Amazing. But um, my legs were like water. I think nerves, something's going wrong with my nerves. I think they're going to come back anyhow. But anyhow, surely nursed me back to health again. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate everything that everyone's done. And I understand that many of you were praying for me. I want to thank you for that too. Maybe I'll see you in heaven. You're going to have to see me for a while. Yes. But I thank God. I know that he brought me through this. And I know that he will bring us through every, all of us time to time. Now, living or dying, that's not, uh, you know, we need to be ready to either live or to die for God. Whatever it does, you know, that should not matter to us. We want to live, of course. We're not, we're not thinking about dying. But if we do, and we're resting in him, the first face we're going to see is Jesus. There's going to be a relinking of the family chain. And what a day that's going to be. No more pain, no more sickness, no more separation. What a time that will be. Be able to talk to Jesus. Wonderful. All right, now, I'm going to close with this. This is from uh, Ministry of Healing, page 461. Wonderful thought about the Word of God, the witnesses of God. Everyone may be able through his own experience, to set his seal to this, that God is true. He can bear witness to that which he himself has seen and heard and felt of the power of Christ. He can testify, I needed help, and I found it in Jesus. Every want was supplied. The hunger of my soul was satisfied. The Bible is to me the revelation of Christ. I believe in Jesus because he is to me a divine savior. I believe the Bible because I have found it to be the voice of God to my soul. Wonderful promises that he's given to us. Keep us going here on earth and launch us into heaven. See him face to face. What a time that will be. Give him praise and glory and honor forever. Learn at his feet, one-to-one basis or maybe by multitudes also. Thank God for him. Thank, I thank God for his word, and I'm so thankful that he got me out of the book 
uh, of chapter 11, the misunderstanding that I had about chapter 11. The two witnesses are the Word of God, the Old and the New Testament. And we can join our witness to that as we're connected with the Word and with God. And with that, I think I will close with prayer. Father, we thank you so much, especially the two wonderful witnesses of the Old and the New Testaments that testify of your law and of the plan of salvation. Above all, Christ is lifted up. And you have promised that as he's lifted up, we will be drawn to him. We have no fear of the future. We ask that you'll keep us by your grace as you've promised. And when we fail you, crucify you afresh, forgive and cleanse us. Abide with us, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. Praise God for his healing powers, and Jerry, that you're still here with us. <laughs> Amen. If you'd like to stand, please, and join us, um, we're going to have our closing hymn. Hymn 608, Faith is the Victory.
You know, I've got a footnote I'd like to add, if you don't mind. Um, in order to be able to speak as much as I can, we had four people coming to our home about two months. A couple of months, maybe one month. And we gave literature to every one of them. The occupational therapy therapist told me I needed to hum or sing. Shirley and I have been humming and singing almost every day. It's, it's helping. If anyone has a problem with your throat, your voice cords, do a little humming. Uh, one other thing, there was a the physical therapist that came a couple of times a week for two months. A wonderful man. He's Hindi, Hindu from, moved here from India. And I'll tell you, he's a wonderful man, a godly man. And we talk about spiritual things. And we were giving out books to other, the other people that were Christian. They were freely. And I didn't know what book I could give to him. I didn't want to just push Christianity on him. And so I was praying the Lord impressed me to give him the great controversy, which I did. But I told him, I prepared him. I said, well, listen, I want to share this with you. I said, this is about the conflict that's going on in the world, especially between Protestantism and Catholicism, but over the word of God. And I said, everyone's going to be involved in this. Christians, whatever shape they are, Jews, Muslims, and even Hindu, you're going to be involved in this too. He, did, he looked at me, he said, I will read that. He's working on his PhD right now. He said, I really don't have time to read it, but I will read it. And I believe that he will. I believe he's a child of God. I just, anyhow, I wanted to share it. I should have put it in, but I forgot it. Anyhow, here's the benediction. This is from number six. This is the high priestly prayer of the Day of Atonement, the last act that he did. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless.